have no idea where I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, quick lives. Uh, we got answered prayer, which was just up there a second ago. Uh, as we're praying for things throughout the year, we're coming on the half-year mark. There should be being some things that are happening and so on. Be sure and report those, okay? I can tell you I've already got one testimony of what God's been doing as I've been faithful in tithe and faithful in prayer and so on. Uh, the other thing is Men's 33, okay? If you're not part of Men's 33, this is a perfect time to jump in. Uh, it is excellent. It's on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Did I get that right? Saturday morning at 9 o'clock here. And then it's on Monday evening at 5.30. Is it saying any of this? At 5.30 at Azteca, and that's the one that's at uh, 148th and, and uh, 520, okay? And, and it's just, they're really excellent discussions. The material is awesome. We're really having a great time together. But since it's Mother's Day, let's go ahead and switch back over to there. So, all right. Uh, thanks, guys. And I'm ready to go. So thanks for the timer and all that kind of stuff. So I know I won't say it. Going to say how long I'm going. I just want to say something really quick about Mother's Day. John Bottomy sent me a little text this morning, and he said, uh, "He said since you're always talking about how when you test genders that you come out more female and Julie comes out more male." He said, "So happy Mother's Day <laughs> to me." <laughs> I love that. Uh, I do want to say, you know, Happy Mother's Day, and this is that day when we bless moms, right? And that's exactly what we're going to do today, and in fact, it's going to be all women, so I'm really excited about this message. But let me say, as we start, that I'm blessed myself, and the reason why is because for years and years, I did the Mother's Day sermons. And then I got to thinking, you know what, maybe I ought to have some women speak on it, because maybe, you know, they know something about Mother's Day that I might have missed. And so we've had some excellent speakers the last few years on Mother's Day, and it's really been wonderful but I was really blessed this year that Julie came up and she said, look, I love that you're having the women speak on Mother's Day. It's awesome and keep doing that. But she did say, you know, I really like it when you speak about it too. And, and I, that just blessed me. It was like, wow, my wife actually wants me to talk on Mother's Day. I must have done something right and all the massive things I've done wrong. But, but it was just a cool thing that she said that. And, and I do think, I got to tell you, I, I said, well, should I, Lord? And I started praying about it. And as I prayed about it, I got to tell you, the Lord just dropped this sermon into my heart. I, I, I rarely self-promote a sermon just because, you know. But I actually put it on Facebook. And I just said, this thing has really gone somewhere in me. Something really significant has happened in me. And so I just cannot wait to share it. So I'm not going to. So we're just going to jump in right now. So we have, who's praying? Marty Johnson. Oh, that is awesome. Marty, who helped put together the entire men's retreat for us, has been such a strong part of the men's meetings and so many other things, and just a great man. So, Marty, pray for the sermon. Lift up another church, too, would you? Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, thank you for your work through the women of this church. Amen. For those who are moms and for those who are not. We ask your blessing today upon the North Shore Bible Church. Pour out your blessings upon that gathering. Amen. Anoint our pastor now as he speaks your word. And let our hearts be open. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It was great, Marty. Thank you. So we're in this series, Empowered, but then something like Mother's Day or Easter or Christmas will come up, and you know, you got to make sure that you're covering your base on that thing, and, 
and all that kind of stuff. And so an amazing thing, if you've been here for a long time, you've seen this happen over and over. We'll, we'll be in a book for a couple of years. And what will happen is, is when there's a special holiday, the place where we are in the book is exactly where we need to be. So here's our series, which is Empowered, which is about the Holy Spirit coming upon and empowering us to do His will. But what I want to do now is I want to take you to the particular passage that we're on as we go through Luke, and we're even going to be touching on the Corinthians passages. But here's what it is. It says, now think about this. See, it's Mother's Day, and the passage that we're in in Luke is where Mary's having a baby. <laughs> that seems pretty apropos, right? You know what I mean? Like you ought to be able to make a connection between those two things. But, but watch this. It gets even better. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. If you didn't see last week's sermon, please do. It was pretty amazing about glory. But, and, the, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Wow, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known all the angel and the glory stuff and what had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now when they say wondered, just contrast it with the but here. Because the but means she did something different. So what they were doing was wondering, as in what does this mean and what is this about? And they were talking about it. Okay. So when she says this, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now the speed bump for me, the, the, the thing in that passage that really stood out to me that God wanted to talk to us today about, and I didn't know why, was Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, in order to draw out what that means, let's do something real quick here. Let's just kind of contrast what Mary could have done. Some of this material, by the way, you're going to have heard before, but, but uh, we're going a different way with it today. So I just want to kind of warn you, as I start to go into something, keep listening if you think you've heard it before, because we're really taking it a different direction. But I want you to think for a second. See, Mary treasured up these things in her heart. Think about this. Mary has been pregnant for nine months but not married. Can you just imagine what the other gals might be saying in the community? This whisper campaign of, you know, well, she says this, but, you know, we know better, right? Can you just imagine that there might have been in Mary a temptation, which I actually don't believe was there, but I just want to say, if it was us, there might have been a bit of a temptation to do something like this, which is, you know, after you see a heavenly choir and you see God's glory and then these kings come and bring something, you can imagine Mary maybe calling for a little tea party and bringing people over and, and just saying, so did you hear, you know, about the angels and the glory stuff? And would you like a little frankincense with your tea? How about a little myrrh with your sugar? You see what I mean? Just bringing up that something really was extraordinary that was happening. In other words, defending herself. See that? Now, I want to say, I don't think Mary did that ever. In fact, from the very beginning, it says when God first said it, 
there was a thing where she pondered it. She kept it. She did something with it inside. And right here it says that she's doing that instead of the wondering. Later on, when he's 30 years old, he will be at a wedding feast and the, and the bridal party will run out of wine. And, and she will come to him and say, the bridal party has run out of wine. And we take by the way that his answer comes that she means something about, do something about this. And she will respond, what have I to do with you? Now that sounds really rude if you read it in a certain way. And we don't know exactly how he said it. But just if you just think about him and if you think about her, I mean, at the very end, you know, he, his last thing that he does on the cross is, you know, behold, right? This is your mother and this is your son telling um, John to take care of his mom, to take care of his, who is now his mother. See what I mean? So it wasn't that it, there was a disrespect there. There was a moment there. And I want, what I want you to think about is, is instead of Mary going, who are you to talk to me like that? You are my son. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of getting in his, you know, getting all up in his grill, Right? That instead what happens is, is that what she does is, she, he says that, she turns to the people and she just says this. She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. See, there's something that, there's something that she's been doing inside so that when something happens it can be misinterpreted. She goes a certain way with it. And I want us to think about this because I want us to think about sort of the ideal woman, the one that God has created, and we're going to be looking at that quite a bit about this, this woman that God has created. And, and may I say right now, I think there's some tremendous stereotypes that have come out of Christianity which are actually the opposite of what women in, God intended women to be. So when I say stereotypical women, I don't want you to think what you might think. I want you to be mindful of where we're trying to go with this because it's actually quite extraordinary where God goes with it. But when I say this, I want you to understand that not every woman is the stereotypical is the ideal woman that God intended, right? I mean, we're all kinds of things. I, I never tell ethnic jokes, but I'm going to tell one right now. And it's because I can, okay? Uh, I mean, it's going to be okay, even if you were, right? But hey, I want you to think about something. See, when you've got a, a, a boy in the Jewish faith, when he gets to 13, he goes through something called a bar mitzvah. And a bar mitzvah is when he becomes a man. Now, in order for him to be a man, one of the things that they do in the Jewish faith is that they say... Okay? They say the woman can no longer tell the boy what to do. Now, by the way, that's not biblical. Okay? This is just cultural. It's just something that comes out of the Jewish tradition. And there may be reasons for it, not reasons for it. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is, is this is what they do. And so you get out of that. Uh, see, a woman can no longer tell the son. You know, you're telling me what to do with me. Well, I'm telling you about what's up here. She can't do that anymore, so she's got to resort to other ways in order to get the son to do what she wants him to do. And so you get this thing which is Jewish mother guilt right now there's Catholic mother guilt and there's all kinds of mother guilt okay and love your mothers but all right you know we're not all but but so the joke runs something like this and it goes how many Jewish mothers does it take to screw in a light bulb none I'll just sit here in the dark <laughs> right some people I know don't get it. It's that, it's that, don't worry about me, I'll just be in the dark. And it's a way of actually manipulating. You didn't tell her what to do, but you're telling her, you're telling him, you know, you need to take care of me. But you can't tell him to take care of you, see? And so there's this thing, by the way, anytime you have to explain a joke, you know, so, all right. <laughs> but, but bottom line is, is that what you've got is, is you, you've, got this, you've got this way that we as human beings try and do what it is that, we think ought to be done, right? Now remember that, because that's the difference between, and not just for girls, for women, for moms, 
but for all of us. All of us have this thing, and God is going to do something extraordinary in here, which is being revealed by this Mary treasured up all of these things. So I get this scripture in my heart, and I go out for my walk, and I'm asking the Lord, what do you want to say to us? And I'm asking him, and I'm asking, I've actually had this in my heart for a couple of weeks now, and, and I've just been pondering it and letting it sit and everything else. And all of a sudden, at, at one moment, God gave me this kind of an image, which was this idea of a woman carrying a baby. And, and what, I, what I saw in it was, think about what pregnancy is. This is another life. Yes, it comes from you, but this is another life that has that is in you, that you are nurturing, that you are feeding, that you are protecting, that you are guarding, that you are keeping peace, that you are doing everything you can so that this child can grow, right? So that this child can grow up into the fullness that God intended. In fact, think about it this way. You know, nine months is a long time to be carrying a foreign body in your body, right? And I mean, it starts getting pretty big, and you would think, you know, and, and women do think this, you know, at, at nine months, it's kind of like, it's time, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, I'm okay with it coming out now, right? But, but stronger than a woman's desire for the baby to be gone because of, because of an uncomfort, much stronger than that is this. Don't let that woman, don't let that child be born even a minute before it's time, Right? I want this woman to, I want this baby to come out full term, fully formed, so that this baby can not only survive, but can thrive. It doesn't always happen in pregnancy, right? I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing, and, and moms will struggle with, you know, on an emotional level, and the fear, and the, is it, and the miracles that we do medically and so on to keep babies alive at this point in time. It really is an extraordinary thing, and it speaks to how important it is that a baby is able, you know, God-given, God-granted, and he, again, he does a lot of other things, but that a baby should come to full term. And as I thought about that, what occurred in my heart, what all of a sudden what God did was he said, you know, you think of pregnancy, and you think it's just pregnancy, but all of a sudden I started realizing it's a metaphor. It's an analogy. You know, there's always, there's things in the spiritual that are happening, but they're always pointing to something in the spiritual. And what this is pointing to is pregnancy is this perfect illustration, not just for women. All of mankind can see it in the pregnant woman. But it's for men to see, for women to see, for everybody to see that there's something about God impregnating us with something of him and his will. Something that he wants to do. And what he wants us to do is, is to let it come to full term. See, I, I'm, I am, I want to say it the nice way and then the bad way, okay? I, I think that I'm fairly prophetic. And Mike Bickle says about the prophetic that, that one of the issues is, is that anything that they feel like the Lord's saying to them has to be done now. There's an urgency to the word. And what Bickle says is, is he says, you really need a pastor to complement the prophetic because the pastor will have, see that the thing comes properly to the whole body. That it's not just an urgency all the time, but that it has come to full term. See that? Now, this body, I love you, but, you know, we've struggled a little bit with, if I'm prophetic and the pastor, then I'm balancing, I'm not balancing, I'm, 
have an urgency in me. And you know that if you've known me for very long. There's a, a sense of urgency about me a lot, right? And I feel like it's important that we move forward on this. And I try and hold myself back, and I do better and worse at times. Poor Roger Maddox has been the, the uh, you know, he had to switch us over to exchange because there was a reason to do it. But it didn't have to happen right then, and it could have happened differently. And, but even to practical things. Now, that, the good way of saying it is unprophetic. The bad way of saying it is is that about half the population in the world has a problem with what we call delayed gratification. See, that's, right, that's the other way of, the worldly way of putting that. Delayed gratification, this idea that, you know, you need to wait. Now, I do want to say something just for one who struggles with delayed gratification. I do want to say the other half of the world struggles with holding on to that thing so long that it never, ever does actually come to birth. See, there is a time for birth. And it's hard to hit the midpoint. See what I mean? There's some people that are trying to push it too quick, and there's some people that are, that are never delivering. So what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be delivering in God's time. And this image of a woman carrying a child is that natural, physical, real-world metaphor, analogy for what it is to be pregnant with the things of God that are to be cared for and nourished and nurtured and brought up until they come to fullness of term and then delivered, right? Now, we can see that, and all of a sudden, this idea that, wow, there's this really incredible insight that comes from women being pregnant that has to do with this keeping something inside. And we're going to go into it in a little bit more depth, but where I want to go right now is I want to just say, if that's true, are there other things that women reveal to us about God that men should be doing too, but the more natural illustration for it in the world, the more the one that we get a hold of more deeply and more richly is in God. See, there's plenty of guys that know how to be pregnant properly. Okay? You know, with an idea from God, of course, right? But there's, there's that thing. But then there's this other thing. And, and as we do this, I really want us to, I really want us to just, okay, God, help me to get this out right. I'm telling you, there's this thing that's in me, and I just want to deliver it well. I want to say something, women, because when, when people look at the Bible, it's not uncommon, particularly for people that don't know the Bible, but even for people that do, if they would really just look at it through secular eyes, to say that the Bible is kind of misogynistic, or at the least it's patriarchal in its orientation. Misogynistic would be anti-women. Patriarchal in its perspective would mean that it's more oriented to men. I'm going to show you that that's actually not true. There's a truth in it, but it's not the actual depth of the truth. I want to show you something here. See, what happens is, is that God does this extraordinary thing. The reason why people think that it is not so good on women is because of something that happens in the fall. But before the fall, you do know how God created it, right? Which is to say, and we've covered this before, but look, in the beginning... God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper as his complement. And when he says man, I don't even want you to think of Adam as Adam became when he pulled half of Adam out of Adam. I want you to think of the first person as having something inside which got pulled out to where now the two are the one. That is the expression that God intended at the beginning. Do you see that? 
So I don't want you to think it because the woman was second, it was somehow the man first. It wasn't. It was a being that was first, and there was something pulled out of him. And that person that was pulled out of him, the woman, was kenigdo, which is in the Hebrew, it means completely equal to. And I want to show you something. Almost all the translations actually work at this verse because it's such a weird thing to think. But what the, the, eighth, the Holman Christian Standard gets it really right. I will make a helper as his complement. You see how it captures this sense of equality? Of, 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 of equality. Now, something happens in the fall, which we're going to look at. But you do realize that in the end, God is in the same place. In the end, what he says is, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. This is in heaven. Slave nor free, male nor female. There's no, there is no, there is no guys are still the head of the household in heaven. There isn't. We're completely equal. So, uh, women, I want, you to, I want you to get something down deep in your hearts right now. If, if you can plant this foundation, you will get everything else that I think God is trying to tell you today, and it will become rich and life-changing, I believe. Okay? I'm telling you that there isn't the man, there isn't anything about the man being greater. In fact, I'm just about to argue with you that if you were to argue one is greater than another, biblically, it's the woman. Now that's not true, because they're equal. But if you wanted to argue it biblically, not culturally, not socially, not physically, but biblically, you'd be, it's easier to argue to that the woman is greater. All right? Now, now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Eve takes and eats. Right? Why? Well, first of all, what? What's happening right there? When Eve takes and eats, we know something about Eve at that moment in time, which is she's not a good follower. She doesn't obey. Right? God said he made Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. He didn't want them to be forced to obey him. He didn't want them to force to be in relationship with him. And so he gave them a free will moment in the garden, which was the tree. And if you eat of that tree, then you'll die. You'll be separated from me. That's what that means, right? And so this is very much what God is saying. He gave them this free will moment. Now, for whatever reason, I'm going to argue what the reason is in a second, but for whatever reason, the thing we know for absolute certainty is this, that, that she's over there talking to the serpent, and she ends up doing what the serpent says. It's good for food. It'll make you wise. It'll make you like God. Eat it. She did. So the problem at that moment in time was that she didn't obey, that she didn't follow. Okay, that's what we know for absolute certainty, right? Now, for the guy, we know the opposite thing, which is the woman eats of that, and then she says, here, eat it, it's good. And what he should have said was what? No way, right? I'm not going to do that. God said not to do that. But he should have done something else too, right? He should have just said no and then run away from her. What God would have her do, what God did with you and me, so that's his heart and his nature, God would have had him to be a nurturer, to help her, to come alongside of her and say, not only will I not eat, but here, and covered her and, and brought her to him and said, 
God, we don't know what to do, but we're coming to you and tell us what to do. And, but he should have, and, and God, no, you know, me too, I'm with her. See what I mean? This is Moses before God. When God says, get out of my face so I can destroy them all. And God had raised up Moses at that moment in time to be the intercessor for the entire Jewish nation. When he said, if you're going to take them, take me first. Because I'm just like them. That was a moment that God in his holiness needed to exercise. But it was also a moment that he had raised up an intercessor to save. And Adam should have been the one who was saving right there. He should have done that. Right? And so what we see, and we'll look at it in a second, but it's with a little different second. What we see is, is they were created to be equal, but what happens is the woman who has an issue with following, what happens is she is brought in a desire way, in an instinct way. He has to change something in her. Note that, because it's very important. He has to put something in her, which is a desire to be under him. She was made to be with. But now she has a desire to be under by the way, you know, I can't prove this biblically, but I think it's absolutely true. If you want to know physiologically how God did that, it's puberty and menopause. Because what happens is you get a guy and a girl, and they're born, and they start going, and the girl tracks higher on every single, abil every single ability, socially, intellectually, everything, including physical. She's stronger and more coordinated than he is until puberty. And then she, Ophelia complexes, she falls to the ground, and then she has need of someone to help her, to cover her. And then she's running the household and doing the kids and doing everything, and even if she's got a job and all this kind of stuff, and she actually surpasses him again until she hits menopause, and then she drops off again, and there's another need for her to be with him. Because her world, two times in her life, will fall apart. And it creates a desire to be under somebody who will protect me, who will cover me, who will help me in a moment where things are coming apart in me. You see it? I mean, this isn't abstractions that the Bible's talking about. These are real things. And so the point is, is what God says is, is I'm putting you under. And I'm putting a desire for you to be under. There's a thing that's going to happen to you that's going to want, and you're going to want to be under. Even in your heart, you're going to want, not just because of puberty and menopause, but in your heart, you're going to want to be under. And then to the guy, here's what he's saying. You who proved yourself to be a follower, I'm putting you in a place of having to be ahead. What's that mean to be ahead? It means to care for. This beautiful thing happens when a woman comes under a man. He feels really good. <laughs> it's like this makes me feel good in my heart. My natural tendency is to take care of myself and to hang out with other guys that are taking care of themselves. And we're all taking care of ourselves and having fun in the den, watching TV and, you know, as I say, scratching themselves. Okay? But the bottom line is, and then this woman comes under, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know what? This is nice. And then, like I keep saying, she sprouts, and then there's more of her. And now he's, but he loves, and he takes care. He learns how to nurture. He learns how to nurture. He learns how to nurture. None of this can be argued biblically because uh, you, you can argue anything you want, I guess. But I, I'm on incredibly solid ground with everything I've said biblically right now, I believe. Okay? This is what God was doing, and this is why he did it. This is the part where you could argue with me, but I just want to take it a little bit further. Given the way that it all plays out, there is the mirror image. Why was the woman hanging around the tree? Why was she doing that? Well, I've argued with you before, and this is speculation, I'm telling you. But I think it's because if you're a nurturer, that's what you do. 
when there's something wrong as a mother, don't you try and figure out what it is so that you can protect? You need to know not just what it is, but why it is and how it is. You need to know the is about it so that you can help other people not do it. See, it's a little bit, really literally the way that we're brainwired. Because see, guys are waffles and women are spaghetti. Waffles means God told us not to eat of that tree, so that's a compartment not to eat of the tree. And it's not to say I would never be curious as a guy and go over there and try and figure it out. But it is to say, you know what, I'm in another compartment, I'm over here doing something else. I'm building a tree house. Right? And I'm doing that. I don't really, you know, I'm compartmentalized. I'm building a tree house. I'm not really thinking about that other tree right now. But women are spaghetti. Everything's connected. If something's wrong, nothing is really right. You see that? With guys, things can be totally right in this compartment and totally wrong in this compartment, and they never know it. <laughs> or just, they know it, but it just doesn't matter. They can live there. See what I mean? It's cool. I know that that compartment's totally screwed up, but I'm over here in this one, and it's really good right now, so let me stay over here. <laughs> right? But the way a woman's wired, if something's wrong, nothing can really be right. I've got to do something about this. I want to argue with you that the reason why she was there was because she was a nurturer. In fact, I want to argue something else with you. I want to argue that what she was exhibiting at that point in time was not just nurturing, but it was natural leadership. If the guy revealed himself to be a follower in the garden, the woman revealed herself to be the natural leader. Who led? See, Satan initially, but then who led the guy? Here's the little saying that I think cements this to some degree at least. Could Hitler have raised an army of women to gas six million Jews? Would the women have been willing to stand at the door of the shower and usher people in? I think it takes a waffle-brained guy following to do that. Because there's part of that waffle that's saying, don't do this! <laughs> And another part, it's saying, but it's my orders, and I got a uniform, and I have rank, and I'm, I, you know what I mean? And I, uh, you see what I mean? So I think they go waffle over here, and they can pull that one off. And I think the women are saying, what? <laughs> what? Are you crazy? What? I'm not saying women aren't capable of horrendous things. I'm just saying, I don't think Hitler could have raised an army of women to gas six million Jews? I do not believe that that's the case. And so there's something of this thing that women were doing. Now watch this. See, when I say that there are natural leaders, that's nurturing what I just talked about, but it's also this kind of taking care of the world, taking care of things, doing things. If you'd have gone into a Barnes and Noble, let's say 40 years ago, 1950s, well, that's 50 years ago now. 60? Oh my gosh, really? Hold am I. Oh, my gosh. Wow. In the 1950s, if you went into a bookstore and picked up a book on management, here's what it would have been, would have been about. There was actually a movie made, Cheaper by the Dozen, an efficiency expert. Here's what management books were about. Do things in an efficient manner. In fact, it became so strong that in the post office, the men leading the way men would lead were measuring your hand movement and where the letter was and they were measuring it down to where the most efficient way for a man to be part of this process would be for everything to be just like this and you have to make exactly the right movements all day long. And what came out of it was 
going postal. Remember? We used to have guys that would go crazy, walk in the post office and shoot people. Right? That doesn't happen anymore. You know why? Because they realized that that way of doing management didn't work for human beings. Great for robots, really sucky for actual people. See, there's something very wrong with it. Now, if you go into the bookstore and pick up a book on leadership and management and so on, what's it about? Let's just be really clear about it. If you were to distill all of them, boil them down to their essence, here's what they're saying. Nurture people. Take care of them. Treat them as human beings. Know what their goals are. Know what their dreams are. Know what their aspirations are. Meld them with what it is that you want to accomplish, and then you're doing right by them and yourself. Win-win. Nurture. To the point that this is a guy right here who wrote, uh, you'll see down here at the bottom, you probably can't see it, no other management book will ever be needed, Warren Buffett. And this is the tape version of it. That guy's name is Jack Welch. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand how weird it is that Jack Welch is the one who's bringing this particular illustration. Because I'm going to argue with you that Jack Welch brought about a new style of management that had to do with nurturing at a new level that was extraordinary and has changed the face of business in the, in the world. Jack Welch did this. But Jack Welch's name, before he actually became known for what I'm talking about, was actually known as Neutron Jack. And Neutron Jack came from this example where the, the military was inventing a bomb that would do a radiation pulse so that it would kill all the living things but leave the building standing so we didn't have to rebuild the buildings. See? And so they called him Neutron Jack because Jack could go into a business and everybody would die, but the buildings were still standing. I mean, look at the, look at the title of the book, Winning. Does that sound like a nurturing term? That's a guy term, right? This is a guy term, Winning. Right, the title of his book, but I'm telling you, our staff did this book, and when we read it, I was blown away by the, by the degree of pastor. Here, I'll just give you one example of it. He says this, and in one of his most criticized things, and it's too complicated to get into, but bottom line, he talks about the fact that there's always people in your organization that really don't belong there. And here's what he says about them. He doesn't say they don't belong there because they're not good workers, and so you should fire them. Here's what he says. You are holding back the capacity of that human being by keeping them in a job to which they are not called, to which they are not equipped, to which they will never be fulfilled. And as a human being, you owe it to them to figure out what their giftings are and help them find that new place. Jack Welch is the one that brought HR to a whole new level. It used to be about insurance and so on. Here's what Jack Welch made. He said the second most in hire in your entire business is HR, human resources. You know why? Because your human resources are your most important resource, and you better treat them like human beings. You better find out what their goals and their aspirations and their dreams are. And he talks about how you can help people fulfill their destinies. Now, he's not a Christian. And he writes a guy book, Winning. But I'm telling you, there's pastoral advice throughout Paul. And what's pastoral mean? What's the synonym for pastoral? Nurturing. Raising up people. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Now you, now you get where I'm going here. Because what I'm saying is, is, is that when we look at how we're supposed to be with one another, we're supposed to be nurturing. And now I just want to show, I just want to, I want, to, want you to think about something for a second. I said earlier that if it's more, if, if one is greater than another, which they're not, but if one is greater than another, who's greater, the man or the woman? And I think all of us in here, before I asked that question, if you didn't know it was a setup, you would have said, well, the man. Just, you would have just said that, blurted it out, even if you didn't think it's true or even if you didn't want to think it was true. But think about something for a second here. When God has to do something 
in her, in order to get her to learn how to follow, and that's really important, we're going to go to it in a second. But when God has to do that to her, and then he has to do something to the man to make him more like the woman. He is making the woman more like the man, but it's in following. Let me, let me, let me change it. Let me go this way. What's more important, nurturing or following? What's more important? Yes, you have to do both as human beings. But when we're thinking about God, what's the more important thing? Nurturing. God is not having to follow. God will follow. He's humble. He's going to follow. Son follows the son, the spirit, the spirit. Right? They're, they're committed. They're submitted. They're preferring one another. They're submitted to one another. But are you, I, I just, again, I, I realize I'm pushing a point a little bit. I can see some furrowed brows here. But I'm pushing a point for a reason because I want you to consider something. If there's a tilt towards one or the other, the thing that the woman is naturally is the more important thing. A nurturer. The whole world is learning how to nurture. Her strength is nurturing. She's still nurturing and in all kinds of ways and so on. And again, I, I just, you don't have to agree with me theologically on this, but you do have to do something. You have to get out of your head the idea that the man is greater. You have to get that out of your head. Because the fact of the matter is, if you look at who God is, God's a nurturer. And that's what she is. And she is revealing nurturing. Jack's book was called Winning. That's not really the best title for a book about how to really have people achieve their maximum potential and everybody to win, is it? I don't know what the title would be, but it would be written by a woman or it would be at least a feminine, more feminine title, right? It would be something to do with raising up others. That's what God does. He raises us up, right? Now, the verse that we've been talking about over and over is this one right here. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband. This idea of there being a, a, a thing that has happened to her instinctually to where she comes to this place and physiologically to where it helps her and, and so on, and there's this desire. I just did a wedding yesterday, and the, as I prayed about the couple, uh, and it was a beautiful wedding, and as I prayed about what the couple did, I, I saw that Savannah Martin, and I don't, uh, now Savannah Sullivan, but, it, but when, you, when, I was, when, we were, when I was talking about what God had told me to tell her, and I've never had this happen in a wedding before, but the thing that came to my mind was I said, as I was praying for you about what God would have me say, he wanted to say to you, as much as you can do absolutely anything, there's this desire in you to be under a covering in an incredibly godly way. And it was a moment in her. You could see her start to cry because it was... I think women want to be instinctually, but this was a really healthy thing, really in the right way. He shall rule over you. This is that the guy coming. So in other words, it's side by side, side by side in the end, in the beginning and the end. In the middle here, there's this, the guy here and the woman here. And this is a temporary moment in order to bring something out. Think about this for a second. If a woman is being called to be under a guy, if, if God has to change something in her to be under a guy, what does that mean? It means that to some degree her happiness is going to depend upon someone else, right? Now, if that's true, 
then I'm going to tell you right now that means that she's oppressed. Because when you get done with all the various definitions of oppression, one of the most important ones is when your happiness depends upon someone else, that's a form of oppression. Now, to some degree, we all, our happiness depends on other people, right? So, but I'm talking about when it's in this way, when there's somebody above you and your happiness depends. I mean, how many women are in marriages? No, nobody in this room, of course. But how many women are in marriages where there's a difficulty and they're really struggling with the man that they're under and how painful and how difficult and all of the various things that are going on, all the dynamics and, and, and the, the really difficult things that are taking place there? I mean, this is happening. And what I want us to see is, is if God is the one who's oppressed you, whose heart is God always for? Whose cry is God always hearing? Throughout the Bible, whose cry? The oppressed. Right? The Jews are in oppression in Egypt, and they cry out, and God hears them. In Judges, over and over, the people cry out, and God hears them. God always hears the cry of the oppressed. Which means that God himself has put you in this position temporarily, but he's put you in this position of oppression waiting for you to cry out. I want to prove this to you. This is The Power of a Praying Wife, Stomy Armardian. That book, it's 13 millions on that, and I think that's, that's seven, eight years old, so it's probably close to 20 million now. One of the best-selling books of all time. The Power of a Praying Wife. You know, we want to know what the revelation is in here so you don't have to read the book. And by the way, I highly recommend everybody read it, guys and girls. But here's the revelation that's in that book. When I tried to nag my husband, it didn't work. Pushed him away. When I tried to Jewish guilt mother him, it didn't work. When I tried to manipulate him in any way, shape, or form, it didn't work. And so finally I went to God and I prayed. And it worked. It didn't just work. It worked better than anything that I could have ever done. Men, God has given you a gift. A wife who is concerned about you. Sometimes it may come out in inappropriate, natural ways. But I'll tell you what, when she finds God and she starts going to God with these things, there's no more force in the world other than the Holy Spirit directly that is going to change you. And frankly, it's the praying wife that is releasing the Holy Spirit to change you, to bring you into the man that you want to be, that you have in your image as being the ideal, right? Now, this is such a strong thing. that you know, Look at this, the praying wife. See, we talked about the husband over, the wife under, the desire for. But do know that once she found this secret, then it's the power of a praying wife, the power of a praying woman, the power of a praying parent, the power of a praying husband, the power of a praying dog, the power of a praying cat, the power of a praying cloud, the power of a praying chair, the power of everything. And you want to know what all those books are? The same principle. Over and over and over again. The same principle. If you'll go to God, it is by far and away the thing that's going to make the biggest difference in your life. Surpassingly so, to the point that you'll never want to go back 
to the other way that you tried. You'll be delivered from what is false and you'll be delivered into what is effective. Which is to say something like this, okay? In women, we see this principle of long-suffering. See, for a woman not to be a nag, for not to be manipulative, for not, what does she have to do? She has to carry something inside of her, doesn't she? A thing that God wants. She has to nurture it. She has to feed it. She has to care for it. She has to protect it. She has to not get bitter not get into unforgiveness, not hold long account. She has to get to this place to where she's doing something quite extraordinary, holding it inside for its time of birth. And if that's true, then we can say something else. God is not only a nurturer, he's also long-suffering. Isn't that exactly, don't we see in the woman doing that with people, don't we see the same way God treats you and I? Isn't he long-suffering with you and I? I don't know about some of you. I know with me, he's very, 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 very long-suffering. Amen. And you weren't talking about yourself. You were talking about me. I know, John. Thanks for the text this morning. Let's take that a little bit deeper because we can go a really fun place with that. What's long-suffering, really? It's caring about the other person, isn't it? Caring enough to carry the burden. Caring enough to shoulder their cross. Caring enough to carry them in your heart. Now that, by the way, is exactly the same thing that Jesus did because it says move with compassion, and that word is splunknitsomai. And what splunknitsomai is, is that what's happened is that something's happening in your life, and what I'm doing is, is that I'm feeling it, and I feel it, and Jesus' guts, it's, it means gut turning. It means every, it's like you feel what they're going through. That's what spontaneity means. You feel the same pain that they're going through to the point, move with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, be made clean. And over and over and over in the scriptures, what it says is filled with spontaneity. But this, this thing of Jesus feeling it. So when we say this, we can say something about God, which is God is empathy. What is empathy? I feel what you're going through. I'm not just sorry for you. That's pity. See? I pity you. But that's me being okay and you not. So I feel sorry for you. Here's what empathy is. You're hurting, I'm hurting. One part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. I'm feeling it in myself. You know what? There's an even better word for that. If we really think about this for a second, what are we really saying? We're saying that God is one with another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in such strong relationship that they're utterly one in that they know what each other is feeling and they're feeling it themselves and they're experiencing it, they're living it, and they're for one another in every single capacity. And all of a sudden, see, what we've just done is we've just said that when we look at women in this way that they can carry because of the place that they have been placed in, that they can carry another person, women are revealing who God is. They reveal a whole other dimension of what it means to be one, aren't they? The depth of what it really means. How do I be one with one another? Well, I've got to be long-suffering. I've got to have empathy. I've got to be feeling. I've got to be connected, right? One with them. 
Let me just take you to one other place, and then I'm going to wrap up with, with the last place. When I'm talking about God preferring women or, or not preferring women over men, but when I'm talking about God doing, this is a Mother's Day sermon that's really for women, and what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get you to see the things about God that he's revealing through you and the way that you are. Now, all of us need to be this. All of us need to be one with one another and empathetic and long-suffering and nurturers, men and male and female, right? But just, just go with me for a second because I want to show you how Scripture itself even puts women and the way that they do things on a pedestal. Watch this. Proverbs. Wisdom calls out in the street. She never called he. Wisdom is, is never referred to as a, in a male pronoun. Never. In fact, it's always referred to in the female if there's any pronoun. And all the time it's still done that way. She raises her voice in the public squares. She raises her voice. Look at this. This is Jesus. The son of man comes eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton, a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by its deeds. Why would he say her deeds? Why would he make that point? Genuine wisdom is not just an understanding. Genuine wisdom is an understanding delivered in its exact right moment. Right? You can have exactly the right idea and give it wrongly and it'll have no value. But if you will hold, you, you know, you can have false labor, right? You can have a moment where you're thinking, this might be it, this might be the time to give me that revelation. And then you kind of, and it's not really. You can hold on to the baby until it never does get delivered. That, I don't know, that gets point. But do you see it? Genuine wisdom is when we're doing something. And what I want to say is, is what we see in women that are in that godly archetype, that are in that godly stereotype, that are in that godly mode. That he, There's plenty of women that are impetuous and impatient and all kinds of stuff, right? We get that. We all know that we're all fallen, right? But when you look at the woman that God intended... Don't you just naturally see, more so than in a man, I'm not saying men can't be patient, they can. But don't you see something of a spaghettied wholeness that comes to a point of delivery? More so in the woman than in the man? Because if you don't, I just want to say Scripture does. Because Scripture refers to it. It's saying if you'll look at this woman the way that I intend her to be, the way that I made her to be, the way that she is actually, not in her fallenness, but in who she actually is. And by the way, if you're fallen, do remember something. There's the fallenness of you, but then there's you. And you're always you. The fallen is what gets covered by the blood and what gets buried in the ground. So it's not just that if you're fallen and you mess up and you're not any of these things, you think in your own heart that you're not that other thing at all. The truth is every woman in here who has accepted Jesus Christ in their heart and been born again, made new by him, is this. 
this person who's capable of caring and nurturing and feeding and growing. And so I want to say, once again, God is perfectly wise. Not just wise, perfectly wise. Now let me just take you to the end, okay? We've been looking at Corinthians because we've been looking at Luke where the Holy Spirit is done properly and we've been looking at Corinthians where, the, where it's done improperly. And so Paul, in correcting the Corinthians, comes to chapter 12 and he talks about the gifts of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then he lays out this list of us in chapter 12 of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he does something else. He says, now look, you guys are using these gifts of the Holy Spirit in a prideful, boastful way. You're using them to puff up yourself. That's wrong. It's not godly. It's not the right thing to do. You're using it wrongly, right? And then he goes to the second half of chapter 12, and he says, look, the gifts are all equally important. There may be some that seem lesser to you, but they're not, because the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So he's talking about this equality. He's talking about this thing this, that the body needs, every part in fullness of what it is. And then... That's chapter 12. Skip to chapter 14. And in chapter 14, he says, now here's how to minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way that is proper. So this is about the gifts, right? Except right in the middle of it, he does something extraordinary. At the end of chapter 12, he says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What's he talking about? Gifts. And he's saying, earnestly desire to be gifted and to move forward in your giftings. That's a good thing. Do that. Right? But then he says, if you want to get all of this gift stuff right, you got to do something else. There's a key. There's a template. There's a thing that if you do this, it'll get that right. I will show you a more excellent way. Better than the gifts. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now let me ask you a question. Is that a verse that is talking to men or to women? Is that a male-oriented verse? Is it male imagery or is it female imagery? Which is it? Trick question, both. But only if we take it apart properly. Watch. If I could speak all languages, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, is that women talk or is that men talk? If I gave everything I have the poor and sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. Let me just really underline it to emphasize it. I, women want to speak in all languages and they want to know the wisdom of God and they want to know his counsel and all this kind of stuff. But here's what a man does that a woman doesn't do. I want to know all the languages. Which, let me make it clear what that means. One more than you know. <laughs> See? If I understood all of God's secret plans, right? 
And if I could move, and if I had such faith that I could all knowledge and move mountains, guy talk, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice, I could boast. See what he's, this is man talk. You know what I mean? Look what I did. This is, this is the, this is the fighter jets fueled up on testosterone taking off. Okay? Because after all, it's a confrontational man's world. See it? So in this passage right here, we've got him doing this. Now watch. Women, watch this. Remember I said there's a, there's a, a natural thing that's in you that's the higher thing. It's good that men are creative. It's good that they're competitive. It's good that they've done a lot of things and created things and so on. That's a godly thing too, and we could look at that. But the bottom line is what I want you to see right now is here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know all these things that guys want to do? Move mountains and do things and boast about it and all this kind of stuff, all of that kind of stuff. You do realize that that's on one side of the equation and he's trying to show us a more excellent way. And what's that more excellent way? Love. Guys love. But you see what he's doing in the contrast. He's revealing love in a particular manner. In fact, I'm going to read you the next few verses of this, and I just want you to, in your heart, read it initially as a woman and then as a man. In fact, I really actually want you to read it a little differently, but I'll show you when, when we get there. Now watch this. Love is patient and kind. Male or female? Just as a natural thing. I'm not saying a guy can't be patient and kind, right? So we're not being stereotypical. But we are saying there's a typology going on. And when we talk about patient and kind, it's more what we associate with the female, isn't it? Love is not jealous or boastful, proud. Men are boastful and proud. Or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no, wrong, keeps no record of being wrong. Now, some guys will say, and even some women will say, now, wait a minute, right there, I don't know if that's me, you know, because, I mean, some women can be a little irritable and have a record of being wronged, right? And maybe even demand their own way sometimes. Oh, no, no I'm not going to say that. It can happen, right? So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go away from thinking about women versus in their spouses. I need you to think about a mother now. I need you to read these verses and read it as a mother. Through the lens, through the eyes. Do you see it? Even then, we can get to irritable and so on, but there's this generousness and this kindness and this graciousness and this other spirit that's coming out that's very female in orientation if you want to understand its depth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. In fact, it'll say at the end of this chapter, it'll say, so these three things remain in the end, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And if we want to understand what he means, you need to read it with a certain lens on it. Because you need to understand the number of times that God talks about taking care of his people 
as a mother hen. Patient and kind, long-suffering, not holding it against us. You see it? And even God himself, when he wants to illustrate that, goes to feminine imagery. Which is to say that God is love. As it says, the one who does not have love does not know God because God is love. And again, I think if we're reading it with this feminine thing, I think we're getting a richer understanding of it. But here's what I'm, here's the point. Look at that list of what is being revealed by women. Not just mothers, but women. Nurtures, long-suffering, empathy, one with another. Perfectly wise, love. Look at that list. Tell me what else does God need to reveal about himself? I would suggest to you holiness. I don't think there's male or female in there. I would suggest to you creator, right? And I would suggest to you, if I was doing a Father's Day sermon on this same thing, I would go to creator as being a trait that is the male is exhibiting in a more in more of a way. Now, there's the creation that the woman does of the, of the baby inside, so we would have to acknowledge that too. And even there, you see, we're already... In fact, let me put it this way. Watch this. When we start talking about God as creative, when we start talking about God as powerful, that'd be another one that guys do, right? Guys would illustrate this power, right, to move mountain power, right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Power. Who he is. But do understand, that's not its end. In fact, let me say it this way. What guys reveal is the more obvious stuff about the nature of God. Strength, power, other things like this. What do women reveal? The hidden stuff. The stuff that's more important. You do realize that most religions have, anyone that has a God, has God as powerful. Right? Here's what they don't have him as. Any of them but Christianity. God is love. So women, what you reveal about God is the important stuff. That other stuff is very important too. But this is the deeper stuff. This is the richer stuff. I'm telling you, when I was on my walk, what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do, and the title of this sermon is a very special message to women. And what I want you to do is I'm hopeful that the women, when you leave this place, that you'll be floating on a cloud because it isn't second-class citizen. What it is is God has used you to reveal the harder things that are to be revealed about him, the more difficult things, the things that needed some gestation period, some nourishing, some protection, some revealing in its proper manner. Women, you are exalted. Women, God has lifted you up. He has given you the more precious portion. I'm hoping literally that your feet barely touch the ground as you're leaving here today. Because you're seeing what God has really done with you. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne and I ask you, 
that you would bring into each woman's heart in this place right now the depth of the revelation of how much it is that you're bringing through them. Yes, we all fall short, but we're not looking at that right now. What we're looking at is where you are bringing us forward in fullness. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you. Thank you for opening our, the guy's eyes and the women's eyes, all of our eyes, to seeing the degree, the amount, the incredible way in which you have given her the hidden portion. It was Jesus himself that was the hidden member of the Trinity. And when he was revealed, the fullness of God was revealed. And so too it is that women are carrying are the bearers of the image of God that we simply could not know except that it comes through them. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we reach down before and we pick up these cups and in the bottom cup what we do is we, there's a, there's a, there's a piece of bread in there and, and I want to say us to break this bread today, but I want us to break it in a particular understanding, and the understanding is this. God, I have not valued women as you have. Even women, you can say that. I have not valued myself as you have. In Jesus' holy and precious name, it broke us that we did not see the deeper truth. But then Jesus comes for 